Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. It's a Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show today. Our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Man, I can't believe it, Brian. There's so many questions coming in. It's great. Everybody's getting fired up. Yep, they are. Hey, before we get to anything else, and we will uh, take the Ag PhD or get into the Ag PhD mailbag here right away, but I, I, I just wanted to talk about this quick because, Darren, did you even know that European Union had to change their laws on GMOs because of the new vaccines? Had you heard that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So love it. it. Okay. So biotechnology is fantastic. It's amazing. It's allowed farmers to use fewer pesticides, produce more yield, get better in insects and and weed control. But it's very misunderstood. And so the people who are opposed to biotechnology will call it GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Well, guess what? All these people who are getting the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, well, they're now GMOs. Okay, people are now GMOs, and I'm talking tens of millions of people already. Here's how these new vaccines work, if you haven't heard this. They use messenger RNA technology. And so basically, they take a copy of the DNA sequence for creating a given protein, and then they that goes into the body, the human body, gets to the ribosomes that are inside the cytoplasms, The ribosomes read this messenger RNA technology, follow the instructions, and create a specific protein to fight off COVID-19. So I want you to think about BT corn, for example. What is BT corn? Basically, the plant ends up producing a protein that humans and animals can digest just fine. But there are certain specific insects that can't digest that protein. It basically rots their stomach out, and it kills them. So... We're taking this same type of technology, the same type of biotechnology, using it for human good. And so I'm certainly hopeful and optimistic that now the world will understand, you know what, biotechnology is nothing that you have to be afraid of. It's never killed anybody, never hurt anybody. So we're, we're now using it for direct human benefit. And in order for the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines to even be produced and certainly to be injected into human beings in the European Union, they had to change their GMO regulations. And it's basically because they didn't even understand GMOs, just like there are a lot of people right now um, who don't understand GMOs, and, or as we term it, biotechnology. So they think it's bad because it's different, and it's science, and it's new wave. But look at what that vaccine is doing. It's protecting and saving lives, millions of lives already. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. But if you're going to be opposed to GMOs and you're going to take the vaccine, um, you just became a GMO. So I don't know how you could be opposed to yourself. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, this one comes from Sam in south central Minnesota. Sam said our, our nearest city 
has biosolids that they're generating from their water treatment plant that they are trying to get farmers to use for fertilizer. Fantastic. I'm sending you a sample of those biosolids. Yep. Just wondering if there are additional questions you would ask them. Is there a good way to figure out what it should cost? And is this something you would consider using if it was for your farm? Okay. Well, first of all, in terms of cost, I'm going to try to negotiate it for free. So if I can get it for free, then it's an unbelievably fantastic deal. But I mean, I think we all know the way that you would figure out how much it should cost. It's what's the value of the nutrients that are in there. And you got to think about human waste just like animal waste. It's the same stuff, basically. And we're looking at two basic things. Number one, what can we get for nutrients? And number two, what are we getting for salt or other things that we don't like? So, for example, heavy metals. We want to test that for heavy metals. Just like occasionally it wouldn't hurt to test your manure for heavy metals. Let's just make sure we don't have much heavy metals in there and and that we aren't creating issues out in our soil with heavy metals. But as long as we're not doing that and we're not overloading on salt, we should be in pretty good shape. So the lab that he ran this test through that Darren just Darren handed me the results here, it's from Midwest Labs. And right in the bottom, it says total manure salts should not exceed 500 pounds per acre. And I would say Darren and I are pretty well in agreement with that. If you have good drainage, you know, it's possible that that you could put as much as 500 pounds of salt out there in a year and get rid of it in a normal situation in our region of the country. Okay, so in this case, it was 164 pounds of salt per ton. So when you run the simple math, that means you shouldn't put a whole lot out there, maybe three tons per acre. You start putting 10 tons per acre out, now you got a real problem. But yeah, I'd be super excited about that if I could get that. And like I say, uh, I'd try to get it for nothing. The, the city just wants to get rid of it. They're happy to get rid of it so it doesn't have to go uh, somewhere else or and they have to pay to get rid of it or that it has to sit there forever. This is the way it should be done and should be used. Get it spread out on the land and basically recycle the manure, turn it into great crops. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Conrad in Nebraska. He said, I enjoyed your corn agronomy meeting earlier this week, and I've got a question for you. It looks like you're using a lot more sulfur than we are. Shooting for 250 bushel corn, a lot of soil samples are less than 10 parts per million. We're adding 35 to 40 pounds of sulfur. Looks like in a lot of your high yield trials, you're applying quite a bit more. Just wondering, is 40 pounds going to be enough for us? We're putting a lot of it on in a strip till, but a majority through pivot fertigation. Okay, so here's the thing. When we start talking about 250 bushel corn, and you can pull this up on the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, 250 on corn needs 40, well, 38 pounds of sulfur. 38 pounds. So when you talk about applying 40, well, you know, that's barely enough. And yes, you can get a little bit out of the soil's organic matter. Okay. So roughly we figure a couple pounds per percent of organic matter. So if you had 3% organic matter, that's six pounds. So it's no big deal. But the point here is sulfates are leachable. So if you put 40 out, your crop needs 40, but you have any leaching at all, all of a sudden you're in trouble and you don't have enough. So in a lot of cases, we're trying to make sure sulfur doesn't become a yield limiting factor. It's not like a big environmental concern or anything. So that's why most of the high yield guys, like ourselves included, put an extra 10, 20 pounds out, no big cost. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. 
That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Montana. Got Chuck with us. And Chuck, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Okay. I, I had this come up this week, and we had snow in the forecast, and sure enough, we've been getting snow here the last couple of days. And somebody asked me, do farmers like to get snow? And I said, you know, if I had winter wheat, I would like to get a nice blanket of snow over the top of that before it gets really cold. How do you feel about snow? Is snow a good thing for you, or do you not like it so much? Snow is a great thing for us. Um, we, we get um, some pretty cold weather. And we get some strong winds. Uh, day before yesterday, we had a hurricane here in Great Falls, Montana, set records for 70 plus mile an hour winds. And wow! So uh, we like to we we've been no till about 30 years, and so there's a foot of stubble or so that uh, the new crop winter wheat is in, and and so that microclimate down there was pretty nice. Uh, it'd be nicer if it was filled with snow, but um, yesterday, and, or day before yesterday, it didn't hurt it very much. What are you looking at for uh, for your subsoil right now? What What is that like? Are you guys charged up, or are you guys pretty dry and needing a lot of that snow to we're, melt and soak right in? We're, we're dry. Yeah, we... Uh, we had a abnormally dry fall and we had one little shot of moisture and we got some seed in the ground that uh, has come up and looks okay, but we're on the edge of a, uh, I guess we're in a moderate drought according to 
NOAA right now. And southeastern Montana, some of it's in extreme drought. Yeah, we're fairly dry here, too. We could sure use the recharge with the moisture, and especially when we see commodity prices. Whoa, 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 whoa Darren. No. I don't want that recharge till we get to May. Uh, well, <laughs> we're fine See, Brian's really then. fussy, Chuck. I want a plant. Yeah, we can't always be so fussy. Sometimes it's we'll take the moisture when we can get it. Yeah, I know. We're in the extreme drought region, too. It's just our we're in a lot different shape than they are in Montana because we normally do get a fair amount of spring and summer rainfall, whereas they don't. So they've really got to have that uh, uh, some moisture in the soil much more than we do, I think. Well, when you've already got your crop out there with something like winter wheat, well, you can take the moisture anytime, really. So that's a that's a good plus yeah. too. Absolutely. So does this change anything with the the markets going a little funky here in a in a good way? I guess if you're if you've got grain to sell, but does that open up any other opportunities for you for other crops out there? Uh, not really. We're we can plant some spring wheat and last year we planted spring wheat because the year prior we had uh our the first snow days in in history in september for school school snow days and uh we got shut out of seeding winter wheat so normally we're uh winter wheat guys and we also raise some peas and uh lentils and uh some guys try canola, but I think it gets too hot too early here for that. Sure, sure. Well, Chuck, it was great talking to you, and I know you like the snow, so hopefully you catch a little bit more of that this winter so you can head into the, the next season looking a little better. Yeah, we're supposed to get um, more snow during a La Nina, but uh, it's not materialized so far. I'm a little worried about that polar vortex separating because uh, that means part of it could come this way, and that I'm not really a fan of anymore. No, I'm not either. We're we're catching the snow, but we're right around 30 degrees. It's it's actually not too bad outside, other than the wind right now. Right. Perfect. Well, Chuck, great talking to you today. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck heading into the spring. Thank you. Happy New Year. You bet. Happy New Year to you as well. Got Dennis on with us right now down in Kansas. Dennis, how are things down there? We got a lot of wind, <laughs> uh, a lot of wind, and we could use some moisture. We've uh, we've seen a few flurries today, but they didn't stick around with the kind of wind we're getting. It it's not going to stay anywhere, you know. You know, one thing that that I know the wind is blowing here too, and it it hopefully isn't going to last forever because it's it's kind of miserable being out there with the wind. But uh, the the winds of change moving these markets around are kind of interesting, especially I would think in your area with what's going on with with the Milo, what's going on with soybeans. I mean, there's there's some crazy stuff out there. There is, there is. That's for sure. You know, uh, we're dry though. Uh, a lot of people are kind of holding off and trying to decide what they're going to do in this spring because we are so dry. Uh, I was just uh, visiting with somebody earlier about we had a fire yesterday just north here about 10 miles that burned off. Uh, they said approximately 11 sections of corn stalks and grass and everything, and they finally got it stopped about by the time we got to the Republican River. So we're we're dry. Wow. Yeah, th- that is no good. And then you look at this wind, too. Imagine if they wouldn't have got that shut off. Uh, wow, it could have it could have been even worse here. Oh, okay, so yeah, it, it, it could have, and, and then we also on the other side out there's a lot of the wheat that didn't get up real well, and then uh, this wind on top of it, uh, we've got some dirt moving too. 
Yeah, yeah, no good. Oh, okay, we'll talk about this then. If it, if you start getting some moisture heading into spring, yeah. then what do you want to raise versus let's say that it stays pretty dry going into spring, which way would you go then? If it stays dry going into spring, that's always a mild thing. You know, if you, if your ground is, is the, in, in the situation where you can do it with the chemicals and your fertilizer program and everything, if you can get, do that. Otherwise, probably go beans second and the last thing you'd want to plant would be dryland corn you know okay and if you get moisture then all options on the table i'm assuming exactly you just look at the you look at the markets and you look at everything that's going on and then uh i don't really like to bring this up but i've got to uh we don't know what uh is down the, the tunnel here for us from and agriculture programs or all this other stuff so you know i don't know really you know what direction that's going to go so you kind of that's always in the back of your mind, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's right. Anytime there's change, you, you just don't know exactly till it till it gets started. But, uh, you know, the other thing I was thinking, you were talking about dry, and I, I forgot to ask you, what about crops like alfalfa? Did they suffer from this drought? Are they in bad shape, or did they have enough moisture going in you aren't expecting much for winter kill or any problems like that? Uh, the alfalfa, believe it or not, we even seeded quite a bit last fall there, uh, like in August and September. Uh, very good so far, uh, good. but you know good. we kind of conserved what moisture we had before we seeded it in, and made sure that we didn't uh, go into too dry conditions. Because if you don't have moisture for that stuff, it's not going to come up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Well, that's good to hear. I I, I was just a little concerned about that, and I know it, it it can be dry, and that can still do okay, especially if it gets rooted down. It's it's not in bad shape, but yeah, it'll right, be interesting right. to see yep. what what happens between now and spring for sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the, the existing alfalfa is in good shape. You know, it, it's went in real well and everything. You know, and and all we can do right now is is put our fertilizer program together on it and make sure that we uh, try to get you know baby set the best we can. So when it comes out of dormancy, it's ready to go. You know, when you mentioned that that a lot of guys are holding off on decisions here, just seeing how this thing plays out with moisture and everything else, and certainly how the markets move, there there are a lot of right. guys in that position. And the challenge and the the fear that Brian and I have is that we're seeing input prices already start to go up. We're hearing a lot of people signaling input prices are going to go up pretty significantly here in the next month. Are, are guys yeah. in a spot where they could lock some things in at least to to cover themselves before any of these price increases? Yeah, we, we did a lot of that before the first year, though. So, uh, awesome. you know, we covered awesome. ourselves and, and, and brought, bought early because there's big discounts and all that stuff, you know, and and uh, got everything covered for this year. But, uh, yeah, if you're sitting out there, uh, you know, kind of sticking your finger in the wind, hoping to know what direction it's going to blow or something, you know, and hoping that's going to be your, your, your plan, as I call it, for your fertilizer and your chemicals and stuff, when you see the price that we've been seeing on soybeans and on corn and wheat and stuff the past, couple three weeks uh you know that that those prices uh, of your input are going to be going up <laughs> yep yep yeah that's that's for sure well past experience teaches us a lot that's one thing about being in this game for for a few turns we're talking with dennis down in kansas dennis we got to run but thank you so much really appreciate talking to you you bet hey you guys take care up there and uh hopefully we'll get some more moisture here one of these days okay you bet if we do we'll share it with you guys down in kansas as well Listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We'll be right back after this.
Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your questions via email, radio at agphd.com, or by phone, 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Colorado. We'll get Kevin on with us right now. Kevin, how you doing? Doing good, guys. How are you? Doing quite well. Doing quite well. Really excited watching these market prices go up because we're in the spot where we've got some grain to sell, so that's a good time. Yeah, yeah. I don't... Uh... I don't have any left to tell. It's the way the year worked this year, but gives you some hope going into next year. If nothing else, 
maybe at least setting a decent insurance price to, to give a decent floor. Yeah, that's kind of the next thing. We've talked to a lot of folks about that, that, that hey, that insurance price is coming up real soon, and that, that would be a good thing. Are new crop prices attractive enough that you're starting to move a little bit of that? You know, I, I would, but we're in such a drought right now. It's so hard to, you know, get reach out and, you know, forward contract much of anything just because I don't know what I'm going to raise. Um, wheat's not, our wheat stands didn't get real good. And, uh, you know, our, our spring crop potential, you know, are just, it, it's, you, the, the prices are there, they're tempting, but I just have no clue right now what I even can plan on producing. So I'm kind of just sitting here uh, hoping these things hold off till spring when I get an idea what kind of spring moisture we're going to get if we get any, I guess. I ask this partly because I, I talked to enough non-farmers and they see what's going on too a little bit. Maybe they aren't watching the markets every day like we are, but but they at least hear things in the news and they they think, oh my goodness, farmers are just making a killing right now. And I, I was like, hold on. A lot of guys thought the price was okay in the fall and they at least weren't going to lose money and they took it. And now we get such dry conditions around our farm. I'm not sure what our yield's going to be if we don't get some moisture. We're dry land farmers. And yeah, yeah, I can only imagine for, for you in Colorado, it's it's that much more important. So even though it looks pretty good on paper right now, that's a whole different deal than than having a guarantee out in your field. Yeah, you know, it is. And it's it, when it's dry like this, it just makes every decision more difficult because you're trying to figure out, well, how much do I really want to sink into fertility putting a crop out? How much, um, you know, do I want to out here in where we summer fallow? How do I really do I want a summer fallow? Should I have summer fallow acres? I wouldn't have normally summer fallow. I mean, there's all kinds of things that guys have to think about um, when it's like this. And, you know, of course, it doesn't help on a day like today when there's dirt in the air and it's blowing. <laughs> it may not help your outlook the best. But, you know, it's like anything, it, one extreme can follow another, and, and who knows. But for right now, you just kind of you hate to be in a waiting pattern, but you kind of feel like you have to be. What are you hearing in, in your part of Colorado for uh, for snowfall and so forth? Are they predicting you're going to get much more moisture here soon? I No, there's no significant uh, moisture that I see in the, in the forecast. We didn't get anything out of this except the wind, this system that's been moving through. Um, we've had a few little snows, um, and, you know, we're grateful for them, but nothing, no drought busters, <laughs> you know. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna need some some springtime rain. Um, I see before we can really get confident that this thing's gonna end. And you know this isn't isn't the first drought out here. So who knows? This could be a multi-year thing. It's hard to tell. Uh, I'm just thankful on days like today. I can't imagine living out here in the 30s when everything was oh, turned. Yeah. And and I mean, I just I can't imagine how black it would be outside today. Uh, with like that. So I'm grateful we figured out some <laughs> no-till and some conservation and got some other crops in the rotation, you know, since uh, generations ago. Uh, but there's really nothing on the horizon that, that gives you a lot of hope other than the fact that we've seen things change before. And so you just kind of have to um, wait and see what happens and, and trust that God doesn't make mistakes. 
No, and you, you just got to be optimistic if you're farming, no doubt about it, because things can change. They can change in a hurry. And in this case, yeah, the moisture would be good. But, boy, it sure is nice, though, the the knowledge and information gained over the last couple of generations here, or last probably three generations since uh, the time you're talking about back in the 30s that, that growers have figured out, hey, here's some modifications we can make to our, equipments and our, our equipment and our programs to get the most out of the tiny little bit of rain that we might get and keep our soil in place. That's that's great to hear. I'm glad you're glad you're talking about that. And it's one of those things we always get encouraged to be good advocates out there and talking to non-farmers about what we're doing. The reduction in erosion is huge. It's noticeable. And yeah, on a day like today, when things are blowing like crazy across much of the country, it's definitely in full effect here. Uh, thank you so much, Kevin. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for what you're doing and good luck here. Hopefully you guys catch some moisture soon. All right. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. You bet. You too. Let's head over to Minnesota. Got Brent with us right now. Brent, how are you doing? Pretty well. How about you guys? Well, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. We're kind of fired up with uh, where these markets are going. And, you know, I'm wondering, in Minnesota, it's mostly corn and soybeans. Are you leaning one way or the other, or are you sticking towards your rotation going into spring? Uh, it's a, you know, that's always an open basket. Um, in Minnesota, we can get pretty good planting to blit planting delays i'd say we're generally leaning a little heavier onto corn as of where we're sitting right now but you know the calendar and the days kind of dictate that we can shift to beans if we need to we don't i mean we have a rotation but i guess it's not a set in stone it depends on markets it depends on planning dates and you know i personally like to plant corn more if i can just more fun and we have better <laughs> well, well we're just set up better to store corn i i think this is interesting that you mentioned that that you said it's it's fun and i know this i was talking to somebody up in north dakota here earlier this week and he said look if conditions are good in april i'm gonna plant corn and i'm not gonna stop but but if they're not i'm not scared to go soybeans with the way the prices are is that kind of what you'd say for your farm too yeah uh yeah i mean i'm definitely I'm flexible. I do know that we, I like to have beans in the rotation. I like to have different varieties. I'm always kind of striving to find the lead, you know, uh, for bean acres and make sure that we stay on top of genetics and all the different things. So if you don't have a few different varieties planted more than just in a test plot, it's hard to really know what you want to plant the next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. How about fertilizer then? If you're still a little bit flexible, did you do a lot of fall fertility or you got, got quite a bit to go this spring? So we did, we typically for us don't do much fall application of anything. Um, we do all of our own application dry, uh, you know, either dry, whatever it needs to be. We have our equipment to do whatever pass we want to do. And we did put potash on this fall. We just had some time and some opportunity to get it done. Um, we never really do fall application of N on our ground. We just, I'd rather incorporate it in the spring when we're getting ready for planting and save a pass. And Sure, sure. And if you have guys stuff, have your own equipment, that really helps too. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a game changer all the way around. You can, you know, timing is everything, especially if you want to start split applying N or what products you're putting out making different combinations and 
being more versatile with what you can do. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned the split application. I know we get a lot of questions about that. Do you have a standard program that you do that you say, well, I'm going to put half up front or 75% up front or, or do you just kind of vary it depending on the year? It definitely varies depending on the year and timing. Um, we try to put down as little as we can up front to a point, depending on corner beans were planted last and then really try and work the nitrogen market later and make that hopefully work to our advantage versus buying more pounds up front for early season. Well, it looks like you've worked the market right on that potash. Prices are certainly going up on some of those dry fertilizers already. Yep. That that is one nice thing. So I guess that's the positive. You know, we don't have bean storage. So, you know, I can tell you, you can already guess where all the beans are. (laughs) Sold for nine or 10 bucks. (laughs) Yep. So, I mean, it is what it is. That's part of, you know, what I have to work with for farming. So we did get fertilizer. Pretty much everything's locked up what we need for plant and it's been locked up for a little while. So awesome. it matched up with where those prices were at. Still going to need some end for the side dress application, but we're going to have to roll the dice a little bit on that see where that plays out. But Yep, you may still, you know, have, may still have a good window for that, that a guy could, could buy stuff reasonable. I, I, I love it, though. you got strengths for your farm and, and the other areas that you know, gosh, you can't afford to be strong on everything all at once sometimes, but love how you're working that system out. We're talking to Brent over in Minnesota. Brent, thank you so much. Good luck going into the spring. Sounds good, guys. We'll see you. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriophil moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. 
It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we just had the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop earlier this week. And wow, I've gotten some great feedback. Thanks to everybody who attended in person. Thanks to everyone who was watching online. And you may be saying, wait, watching online? I could do that? Yeah, you can. And all you have to do is become an Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscriber. The cost is very low. It's 20 bucks for a year or 50 bucks for five years. And you can catch our upcoming workshops. We've got a soybean agronomy workshop coming up in February. We've got a tiling and ag drainage workshop coming up in March. Uh, just a lot of good things going on there. Check out agphd.com when you get a chance. Uh, get a question that came up during the workshop, and we didn't have time to get to it, Brian. This one's from Brett. He said, I got a question for you guys. To correct my pH on a certain field, it'll take around two tons to do it, which isn't terrible. But what I really want to do is raise my base saturation, calcium. But to raise it where I want to, it would take 10 tons of lime or a ridiculous amount of gypsum, which would help, uh, which I could use potentially so it didn't increase my pH too far. How would you guys go about trying to approach this problem? If your base saturation calcium is really low and you really only need two tons, which seems relatively small to fix the pH portion. Do not put more than the two tons on. Just go with the two tons on the lime. Then I would say this. Well, we like having a little more calcium in relation to magnesium in most soils, and it does show up in yield eventually. It doesn't show up in yield instantaneously. It's more of a long-term thing. So I would tell you, I'm going to spend my dollars this way, in this order. I'm going to, I'm going to do the line. I'm going to make sure my drainage is great. I might spend more money on tile if I feel like I need that. I'm going to spend money on phosphorus, potassium, nitrogen, sulfur, uh, manganese, copper, boron, iron, zinc, potentially molybdenum, cobalt. Uh, let's see, there's one I'm missing. But anyway, the point, do you see where I'm going with this? And then eventually I get to, yep, now I'm ready to spend some more money on calcium. But I did say sulfur in there, and if your gypsum source is not that expensive, you can use some gypsum every year to start addressing this calcium issue and raising your calcium levels, and you're getting the sulfur that you need for fertilizer anyway. So that would be a good way to go, and just work on that over, let's call it the next 10 years, as opposed to trying to do it in one year or something like that. So your your dollars are better spent elsewhere, for the most part, be careful what you're doing in terms of spending a whole bunch of money on gypsum 
because we just have never found that, oh, I throw a bunch of gypsum out and wow, my corn yields went up 40 bushels. Haven't seen it yet. I'm not it might happen for you. And if you want to try some, by all means, try some. Just do it on a small scale, not the whole farm. Okay, I uh, get a soil test here for you, Brian, and this one is from Al in South Central North Dakota. And Al said, thanks to you guys, this past year I've increased my corn yields 20 to 30 bushels using some of the tips from your show. Hey, Al, first of all, thank you. That's really that's really awesome. I'm glad we could help you, and thanks for sharing that with us. And I want to get to your questions. He's got one question about nitrogen and soybeans and another question about potash and soybeans. So he said, I'm I'm in South Central North Dakota. I get about 14 inches of rain, mostly no-till, some vertical till. I will do tillage if I need to. I'm not opposed to it. He said, I'm going to plant some soybeans for the first time into a field that I've got. It was corn last year, and I've heard you talking about just add another 50 or 100 pounds of N if you don't have any yep. prior soybean history. Yes. So my yield goal is only 35 to 40, trying to be reasonable here. Okay. I sent you my soil test. They're in eight-acre zones, and I've got a setup on my planter i could do dry fertilizer in a two by two and i plan on applying 55 pounds of map with my planter okay just wondering would you also apply some more nitrogen in this situation if i did yes. it i'd have to do it broadcast yep just wondering what form of in and what timing you would use to do it um i don't really care all that much about the form of in i mean it would be nice since you're also short on sulfur if let's say you used ammonium sulfate, Absolutely. especially because in that'll be till. a con- right because that'll be a controlled release nitrogen, probably break down in you know forty five, maybe sixty days, something like that, at about the time when your soybean plant starts needing more nitrogen. So that would probably my be my preferred method. And you know, in terms of using the dry fertilizer two by two, I I don't have any big issue with that. That's fine. I, I would say this: you've got one zone where you have 4.8% organic matter and you have 6.1% potassium as well as 30 parts per million of P1 phosphorus. I love all those things. That's where to me it looks like you're going to end up with the best yield. Most of the other areas the fertility is half or less. So I just continue addressing all these other areas, keep working on it, but it looks to me like that's probably, I mean, I'm much more excited, obviously, about that zone than I am some of the others, but everywhere you're, you're planting these soybeans, I'm for sure going to use additional nitrogen, and also I would suggest double inoculating. Have the seed treated uh, from whoever you're buying seed from, but then also right with the planter or drill, whatever you're planting with, whatever you're seeding with, add some more dry at that point double inoculate that'll help you you stole my thunder that was going to be my uh, my add in there too okay so there's a couple things for you al on the nitrogen now al's other question i'm wondering about on soybeans could i potentially apply potash with my planter uh, remember i've got yes. that two by two yes. system he said if yep, so how much can i put on and uh, not have any issues a lot I, I really wouldn't get too worried about it. You can put on just about whatever you want. And when he said, what was it, 55 pounds of map, that tells yep. me it's not like he's going to put on 500 pounds of potash in this two by two. He's probably thinking 50 or 100 pounds. There's absolutely no problem with that. All right. Thanks for the questions, Al. And again, uh, thanks for thanks for uh, letting us know about your yield gains. Hopefully this year turns out great for you too. Get back to the phone lines. Get Jerry with us in Nebraska. Jerry, how are you? Oh, doing good. Doing good. 
Oh, is it windy down there in your country too? Man, <laughs> well, we're we're sending it your way, so it's coming from here. I know that it's it's no fun. Hey, one other thing that that I know is a challenge is nematodes. And Janelle was saying you, you want to talk a little about nematodes and corn. What are you thinking there? Well, you know, I farm up here southeast of Martin, South Dakota. Pretty sandy ground. It's irrigated. Pretty sandy, low organic soils, but uh, and, and never. Of course, I never give nematodes a thought up here where there's not that much farm ground in this area. But agronomist this year, the corn wasn't looking real good there in July. And so she she pulled a soil sample, sent it in, and it come back really high in nematode activity. And I'm wondering how to deal with that going into another crop year. Hey, Jerry, this was surprising to me, too, when I first started working down in Nebraska over 30 years ago. Uh, A lot of the farmers I I talked to in northern Nebraska said they were much more concerned about nematodes than even corn rootworm. Back then, we were selling a lot of Furidan and Counter into a lot of these people. And and so I was working for FMC at the time, and and they had, had Furidan. But anyway, today... Uh, Furidan's off the market. Counter is left. So if you wanted to use some counter insecticide, I'd absolutely try that in corn, for example. But otherwise, there are some nematode treatments out there, uh, like Votivo, for example. There, But you could talk to your seed provider and what your options are there. But yeah, we're looking at, at nematicides. Otherwise, you have to switch over to something where, let's put it this way, corn has specific nematodes. Soybeans have some specific nematodes, like soybean cyst nematode. So it, it's crop rotation in addition to using insecticide or seed treatments, or I should say nematicide or seed treatments. Okay. So our crop rotation kind of, I mean, like where we had corn on, on this corn ground this year, we'd yep. like to go to edible beans sure. another year. Yeah. Uh, what kind of, would would uh, they be harder on an edible bean, you think, no. than they are on corn? No, 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 no. So usually you're talking different nematodes that are going to impact the one versus the other. So, uh, yeah, I would feel pretty good about going to the dry beans. It's just usually, and the reason why we've had so many problems, and I'm guessing same thing here, when it's irrigated sand, you're usually sticking to corn on corn on corn, and that's where we end up with the problem. Okay, okay. So... Okay. All right. Well, I sure appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, yeah thanks for the call. Yep. Yeah, nematodes are something that, I tell you what, Brian, there's there's not enough knowledge of what's out there in the soil in a lot of well, cases. Well, you can't see them. So, I mean, if there was some great big bug, you go, oh, I, I know I have that. Well, nematodes are microscopic. That's why we have such an issue. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. 
Always read and follow label instructions. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're taking your agronomic questions, and we got this one from Kevin down in Kansas that I wanted to get to. Kevin said, on irrigated ground, I like to double crop milo after wheat harvest. The wheat's usually harvested by the end of June. Would a very short season crop, such as double crop milo, require more nutrients compared to full season milo, assuming the yield goal for both is 100 bushels per acre? And if so, what percentages would you recommend the nutrient levels need to be adjusted for uh, for one crop versus the other? Okay, so as far as we know, there is no difference. It's just based on yield goal. So you can look at what's your yield going to be, and then nutrients are pulled out accordingly. I would say this, though. When you're talking about a short season crop, usually the yields are less, quite a bit less in some cases, versus the full season crop. But you double cropped. So let's not forget that you got to fertilize for the wheat and fertilize for the milo, or put it another way, before you even seed the wheat, you got to think, hey, I'm going to try to raise two crops here. I better put some extra fertilizer out. The point is simply this. Um, you don't get too hung up on, oh, it's it's second crop or it's full season crop, whatever. Just look at the yield goal and what you're really after and fertilize accordingly. All right. Uh, I got a couple of questions about soil test conversions. We were just talking about that on the Ag PhD TV show. And uh, DK said, I think you're reading the nitrogen and sulfur right, but I don't know if the lab results are super reliable for P, K, and micros because of how they're doing the extractions, I'm thinking. And you know what, DK, they're probably not perfect. 
It, it probably isn't. Nope. And there are different testing methods. Some we feel, just from experience, show more of what's available now. <laughs> Others kind of show, hey, this is what's going to come available during the growing season. But I don't think there's any question out there that there's more nutrition in the soil than what we measure on a soil test and what a plant is able to actually extract. Right. But what we care about at the end of the year is not what we put out for fertilizer. What we care about is, are we making money? Did what we put out for fertilizer, did it pay? And should I do more of that moving forward? So what we would encourage you to do is the same thing that we're doing in our farm. We're comparing all our soil test grid points with all our yield points. So, or let me, let me rephrase that. We're looking at yield at each one of our grid points, and then we can compare fertility and yield. And so it's showing us for, let's just take potassium, for example. On our farm, it's showing, hey, if we don't get that that base saturation K up above 4%, you know, 5-6%, somewhere preferably, that's where our best yields are coming from. So we need to do more of that. And you can look at the same thing with, I don't care if it's phosphorus or copper or zinc or sulfur, whatever it is, you can look at all those things. And then you have your own data, your own farm with whatever lab you're working with, and then our 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 suggestion to you is just stay working with the same lab, testing at the same time of year, because now you're building your own database and you're figuring out yourself, okay, which things that I put out there are actually translating to yield? All right. uh, Another one that came in, this is from Crop Duster. He said that video was a little bit fast paced when you guys were talking about all those sale test conversions. So that makes it hard for me to catch it all. So of course, I've got yep. to watch it over and over to try to absorb it and absorb a little each time. But he yep. said it is really informa- good information you're putting out. But here's the part that, that he also said, Brian. He goes, I'm glad to see you guys are still making videos and shows after all these years. I wish you guys <laughs> continued success. Hey, come on, Crop Duster. We're not that old yet. But, yeah, we have been around doing this for a while. We really love it. So, yeah, I expect, uh, Lord willing, we will be doing it again for or doing it for a long time. Hey, PhD. TV is going to hit 23 full years at the end of March. So, wow. 23 years. All right. Uh, get another bit of feedback on the soil test. This one's from Bernard. He said, recently I was watching your program. You were talking about converting soil test results into pounds per acre that you needed on the fertilizer and so forth. Yep. And talking to uh, some others in the area, they've really struggled with other people doing this for them. In fact, uh, we had a local co-op that where we needed 90 pounds per acre, they put on 200. And the next year, our tests show that we needed 90 pounds per acre on a different field. Well, we put on the 90 and let them put the 200 on another part, and we got the same yield and spent a lot less money. So to make this a simple process that anyone could do, we'd love to see you guys develop an app or a spreadsheet where all a farmer would need to do is type in the results from their soil tests, and they can get back the pounds needed in an accurate way. Yep. So for those who have attended our soils clinics in the past, we have made that available to them and so there's just been a spreadsheet. They can punch the numbers in, and then it tells you what to do. Otherwise, we do have an Ag PhD Soils app if you would like to use that. Uh, but then you've got to run soil tests through it. But nevertheless, uh, yes, we have had that information out there for the last probably 10 years or so. All right, got uh, some feedback on soil sampling. This is from Diego down in Argentina. He said, I think my soils look similar to to yours, and I just wanted to share a trick that I'm using. When I've got sticky, heavy soil and I'm out pulling soil cores, 
What I do is just bring along a pail with distilled water and submerge my probe in about every three or four samples. That way the cores go out in no time, never get stuck, and it doesn't hurt my results. Yep, hey, Diego, idea. that's a great tip. Uh, I know Neil Kinsey talks about doing some of that that kind of thing, too, on some of the heavy soils that, that he's been sampling. Uh, this comes in from Tanner, and he said, I wanted to ask you guys about corn population. Regarding that, you say you should get 7 to 10 bushels per 1,000 plants. Just wondering, what do you do for, for a rule of thumb in silage? Does that same ratio hold up? And what do you see in silage corn on populations versus yield? You know, that's something that we haven't done a ton of testing on our farm yet. And, you know, we're raising quite a few acres of corn this year for silage. I know we're going to be doing some population oh, whoa, trials. Whoa, 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 though. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Okay, so just a minute ago we were talking about we've been on TV for 23 years now. And Darren just talked about, well, we haven't done testing on that on our farm. Look, we work with tens of thousands of farmers all around the globe. And so, yes, we have plenty of experience with this. And I would say we are talking something somewhat similar for silage corn. So I think where Darren was going with, with this was, well, just for us specifically, but we don't want you thinking about just us. I don't really, and quite frankly, us doesn't really matter to you. What matters to you is what happens for you on your farm. So our general guideline is always going to be that seven to 10 kind of thing. Um, it, Darren, why don't you talk just for a second though about the difference between different corn hybrids and what we may be looking for for silage because it can vary depending on beef versus dairy, for example. Well, certainly tonnage is really important and, and you want to have lots of food for the animals. But the other thing that we're really spending a lot of time looking at is what are the nutritional differences between different corn hybrids and what right. is the, for example how much right. starch is in there which is quick energy and a lot of beef cattle producers like having a high starch feed where the dairy cattle guys aren't really looking for that they'd like a lower starch feed and have more digestible fiber and that fiber is a lot more important to them so yeah, depending on what it is, you may have lots of tonnage, but not the best nutrition in there. So certainly looking at that piece of the equation as well. Yeah, and we aren't, his specific question was more population, more tons um, to some degree, but we don't want to get carried away. So we're probably still going to follow the same rule. So if I've got grain corn right side by side with silage corn, and I determine that 32,000 is the right population for the grain corn, for the most part, we're staying with the 32,000 for the silage corn, but we are going to treat it differently. We are going to look for different hybrids because we're not just after tonnage. We are also after digestibility. And so you got to look at the whole package. That's part of it. The next thing is we're absolutely going to use Rise Up Smart Grass on there, gibberellic acid, once if not twice. And that's going to mean more tons. We're probably going to have that corn be at least a foot taller. And you got to think about things a little bit different. You may have to fertilize with just a little more nitrogen to support all that plant material. Um, you've got to make sure then that you've got more potassium out there if you're going to have taller plants and more tonnage so it doesn't fall over when a big windstorm comes through or something like that. So we are going to manage it just a little bit differently, but to answer the specific question, no, we really aren't changing our population a whole lot. Now, if you want to, again, do some experiments on your farm and, and maybe you'll find something different that we have found, you know, other than working with all the people that we've worked with over the years, it's certainly possible. But that's that's our general guideline. 
All right. Uh, get a question from Chris uh, and, a qu- and a comment from KG. I guess, Chris, we'll get to yours tomorrow. But KG said, I'm really enjoying listening to your program, learning a lot from you guys about how to use the right products in my field and how to use the right equipment in the right situation. Thanks, KG. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun doing the show. We're talking a lot about things that we're very passionate about and, and uh, have some experience with as well. So glad we can share that with you. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.